I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, you know the drill. Take 60 seconds to support it at any level by visiting glow.fm slash potabing. At a minimum, please share this episode or your favorite one with one new person and follow us on all the socials at potabing, especially Instagram, because that's where we come heaviest. To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Potabing on Instagram. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is a conversation I had earlier this year with John Fiore. John played Gigi on the show. He called in from New York to talk about his experiences on the show, a special moment between him and James Gandolfini, and several anecdotes along the way, including how the documentary he narrated came to be. John shared some great stuff, and I'm excited to share it with you. Great, fun, honest guy, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk. That's all I got. Here's John. John, thank you again for doing the podcast. Oh, thank you. So... How did The Sopranos happen for you? How much of Tony Profaci was a factor? What's the backstory? <laughs> uh, well, the backstory was I was just in New York, you know, trying to trying to work as an actor. I had done Law and Order for many years as Tony Profaci, as you mentioned, some other you know things, miscellaneous things that would come my way, and you know, doing that whole scene. And then uh, I think the first season of The Sopranos was in the can already, and I was a fan like anybody else. So I got a call from my agent to go audition, and I did, down at uh, Silver Cup. And I remember, I think you may have heard this from other people, perhaps, but you go in the room and there's everybody in there. It wasn't like one person, one-on-one kind of thing. Yeah. Walk, even for the initial go-round, there was a room full of people, including David Chase. There must have been 10 people in the room. So that's always a little daunting. You open that door, there they are, all just sitting there. But, you know, I... um. I remember I had these leopard shoes, like a leopard top shoe. So to break the ice, I walk in there and I said, you know, you may see better actors here today, but nobody's going to outact these shoes. <laughs> so I got, a little, I got a little chuckle. It put me at ease. And then I had funky socks on, too. And somebody yelled out, I like the socks. So I felt, you know, at that point, things were going good. And, you know, it was a very good feeling. And uh, I think within a day or so, I got the call to, to be... Gigi. So that was that. Were the shoes strategic? Was that part of your game plan? They were strategic because I had acquired these shoes in the exiled Law and Order movie. Uh, they weren't even my shoes. They were worn by Costas Mandalor, you know that actor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he wore them in, um, in Exiled. It was kind of my swan song on Law and Order. Ah. So at the end the end of the show, we were taking stuff, and he was. He goes, "Nah, you can, you can take these." I go, "Yeah, you never know when they're going to come in handy." I don't think I've ever worn them since. I mean, they're not the kind of thing I would wear, you know. Yeah, but they're the <laughs> shoes. But they're the shoes that got you definitively on The Sopranos. I mean, you could say I, that with confidence. I really, I really believe they they had a good impact because there weren't there wasn't a lot of lines, you know. What I yeah. mean, for that first go around. So and some of the lines weren't even strung together, so it wasn't like you can build up momentum, so to speak. Right. 
you know, they're kind of like, you know, line here, line there. I've got two or three people talk. You say your line. So I felt that was all part of the, the process, you know, that, that portion of time in the room with that. So, yeah, it worked out. The first scene, of course, where, where uh, viewers are introduced to your character is the scene where you, uh, or your character, I should say, gets picked up at the airport, right? Is that the first time that you're on screen? I think it's the first time I'm on screen, but I don't think it's the first time I was on the show. Okay. I, th- I think I had two or three lines sitting in the uh, Bada Bing by the pool table, whatever. Yeah. When Pussy returns from his absence and he has Steve Van Zandt do his Al Pacino impersonation. I think that was my actual audition lines, those three little lines that were kind of like all over the place. And then subsequently I went in to do the, the airport thing and other stuff. I think. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're going down memory lane, and I appreciate that. I'm the one who's watching it closely. I should know better. But uh, (laughs) actually, the the airport scene is what I always remember because uh, there was a gravitas to that scene, the way it was shot, the angles that they portrayed your character, and the way that the suitcase gets tossed to Gigi by Polly, and just the whole drama of you don't expect there to be a murder, and it just happens. It's a very very powerful introduction of of a character, I should say. Yeah, I like that. It was uh, my only. I I don't have any real regrets, but I, I, you know, we had covered it from a couple of angles including the front you know it's effective the way it is but um yeah it was great it was good you know you mentioned that you didn't start until the second season the show had already started were you involved in any of the initial auditions second season onward i was not involved initially you appeared in 13 episodes beginning in the season two premiere looking back today uh, almost 20 uh, 20 some odd years now uh encapsulate that time what conversations, moments, experiences come to the surface when you look back? So, so when you're on the show, you know, unlike other shows where there's not so many characters, you know what I mean? There's just really a handful for the most part when you work. So to be on this show with about 20 or 30 Italian guys with similar backgrounds, similar sensibilities, etc., to show up there and have all these kind of friends they became friends yeah you know so you're there with them so it wasn't like you go say to law and order you'd sit in your room by yourself waiting to be called or any of the movies and stuff i've done for the most part you know it's kind of solitary you know but with this crew you you would never you know wait in your trailer or anything like that because there was so many people around you know friends guys like me guys like each other and we would, you know, and when they called you to do the scene, scenes, you'd be very relaxed. You'd be hanging out all day anyway with, with, with them. And it was it was nice and easy because you had this kind of off-camera bond, you know? Yeah. And they all cut. You don't, you know, you can go, there's, there's Paulie, this one. Now, everybody was there, you know. James, of course, was the, uh, you know, I mean, the, the just unbelievable. You know, he really was is always will be he was so kind to me kind to everybody he made you feel welcome he 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 nurtured he helped me out personally because i had come in from boston and um i had had sublets down in new york on and off over the years but at that time i did not have one i stayed here i stayed there so my first second night on the show I didn't really plan ahead. It was a Friday night. You know, on Fridays, they go to the wee hours because of the turnaround. Three, two, three, four in the morning, you can finish. I was like, oh, man, I don't even know what I'm going to do, where I'm going to stay. So 
he uh, he overheard me. I didn't know him that well then. This was early on. He walked over to me and said, I, I just heard you talking to so-and-so that you, you don't really have any place to stay. He reached into his pocket and gave me keys to his apartment on Jane Street. He said, I have another place around the corner in Greenwich. I stay there. You don't, just, just here. I go, are you, are you serious? He goes, take it, take it. I end up staying there about maybe 20, 30 days of my entire, you know, time on the show. Wow. That. He was so, so nice about that. Really, you know, and, and many other things. So that, that all, that always stands out to me because, um, even after, you know, I, I'd, I'd give the keys back. <laughs> and then once we had started this, I said, uh, you, you think, you, you think I could stay at the place and, you know, next Thursday, Friday, <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> just take it, do whatever you want. One time I slept in his, his trailer, you know, he says, go to the apartment. I go, honest to God, man, I go, I'm going to sleep like two hours. My car is right there. And when the sun comes up, I'm out of here. I don't even want to go to go to the apartment. I just want to stay right here. Stay in this trailer a couple of nights. You know, that stands out. The common refrain from everybody that I've talked to is that he's an amazing guy. But stories like what you just described cement it. You know, even when it was happening, you know, of course, what's happened, you know, with him and everything else is mind blowing, to say the least. But even when it was happening, his his personality is James. Uh, as an actor, as a fan of actors, he's Tony Soprano. He was just like this incredible figure, you know? Everybody, seriously, you kind of wanted to be around him. You know what I mean? And, and he was, he was. He, I remember him telling me you know, a couple of times, he goes, dude, I'm lucky I can put my pants on in the morning. You know, he was, he was a guy. He was yeah. just a great Great, great guy, you know? I think that's why he's so relatable. The character was so relatable to people of all shapes and sizes and walks of yeah. life because he was a guy. And to and, and to speak to all the characters that you just mentioned and uh, the cast, like, it feels like regular people. It was unbelievable. Another thing that stands out, I mean, when I met my demise, I had to go into uh, a casket. I remember being really freaked out about that, you know? I thought it was some kind of bad luck kind of thing that a person shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know? It was just weird. It was, uh, you know, I knew I was going to do it, but I was kind of freaked out about it. I didn't, I didn't want to, but I knew I would. That, it was a Friday, and we went into his trailer, and we had done, we had done maybe four or five shots of vodka. It was one of the last shots of the, of the whole entire, you know, episode. And I said, if I get in there, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be buzzed. Obviously, I don't have any lines. (laughs) <laughs> so there I was <laughs> there I was laying there in there and um you know, a couple of the angles, he he'd be kneeling over me, you know, the breathing that he did. I knew I could feel him there. <laughs> but in some of the takes where I knew they wouldn't see me, I was like like kind of doing like a ventriloquist saying stuff to him, trying to crack him up. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of times he did. You know, I'd be talking to him and, hey, James, how you doing? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. How long did you have to be, like, immobile in a casket? Um, You know, it wasn't all that long. I think maybe I hopped in and out a couple of times, too. It wasn't like I was in there for an hour or anything like that. Okay. I remember it being extremely, extremely uncomfortable, which is something, obviously, you wouldn't think about, right? Yeah, no. You? So I said, you know, you don't know what it's like. So I'm laying there going, if it, if it were a bed, you'd say, this is a sucky bed. I can't sleep here. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if they, you know, 
those more expensive ones, but that one was really bad. Yeah, that was a production budget one. I guess so. <laughs> it was really, I could feel the springs digging digging into my back. So, how did you feel about Gigi's outcome on the show? Well, I mean, of course, I was disappointed. Everybody is, you right? Know, that because here you are, you know, you're trying to be an actor. You want to be an actor. You are an actor to whatever level, and you find yourself on the cultural phenomenon of all time. Let's face it. Even then, you knew by then. By the time I got on there. It felt like it was a runaway train, you know, happening here. So you're on that show. You don't want to leave it, of course. Um, and, you know, I was disappointed. Um, but I knew, I knew I was a device for Ralph. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was a device. Some of the other characters that David Chase put onto the show, they were so open-ended. He could keep him around for five years, kill him off, whatever. They, I was, I was there in a sense to, you know, to, for Ralph to vault over, to have that little conflict. And, um, what I have preferred if I was demoted and sent away. Yes. Only if I could have come back, you know yeah. what I mean? Dude, if I was demoted and sent away and never came back, it would be minimal and less impact than there is now, you know? No, now, so, now at least the character, there's an outcome for the character and, and fans of the show that watch and rewatch it will always remember, you know, that the, the season three arc was in large part because of Gigi. Yeah. And I mean, I think I, you know, and, I, and with David, when he called me, you know, uh, <laughs> it was, um, it was a, fr it was, again, it was a Friday. I don't think I was in that particular episode, you know, you know, and that, that didn't alarm me because people that some people skipped episodes, you know, you weren't at everyone. Right. Especially, especially as a recurring. So he had, I think it was like pre cell phone. Really? I don't, I don't even know if I had a cell phone. I, I he called my house phone, you know, he did call he them. He, he called me personally. He called me on a Friday morning and he said, John, David Chase, give me a call, please. And I call him back. Of course, he's not available. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm saying to my, I'm saying to myself, it's got to be for the contract. He's going to offer me the contract the next year, whatever. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I never, honestly, I didn't consider it. What he ultimately told me, I did, it didn't cross my mind. It just didn't, um, because you know his voice was relatively upbeat, you know. And then the whole day went by. I think I tried him another time. He was unavailable, and I'm like, "Geez, what the hell does he want?" You know. And then probably around five o'clock, he called. And I said, "Hey, what's up?" He goes, "This is a call I hate to make." And of course, you know, then right then, and um, you know, no, no, please, no, don't do it. When next show? Oh my God! How? And he tells me how. I said, "No, <laughs> <laughs> no I go, you don't have to do this, David. You don't have to." Oh, I love you. It's great. Nah, that's gonna be memorable. You know. I mean, I understood they had to do what they had to do. You know. Yeah. No, you know what? You got the you got a phone call, and uh, that, so the, I always wondered how you, how do you do it? And apparently, that's how you do it. You say, "This is a phone call I hate to make." Yeah. Oh, that's it's great. Best. He was good to me. Kind to me. Everybody was. They took me out, you know, we, we went out to dinner. Um, everybody showed up we all went, you know, the whole, I mean, a big, big group, you know, to the restaurant. They did that with people once they got bumped off, you know, and, um, I, they had given me a signed toilet seat and I wish I still had it. I gave it to somebody at a, a moment many years ago. Oh my gosh. 
I wish I had it back, but everybody signed it. It was, it was humorous. It was funny. You know you what? Know? That's, that's actually, that's actually really cool because the show is, is dipping between drama and, and comedy the whole time. And, you know, um, the, the memory of the way, or the last frame of Gigi is always, you always think of the bathroom. So, um, <laughs> it's a very apropos, uh, send off for you. It was quite a send yeah, so you later hosted a Sopranos a documentary style project, and I believe it's on uh, on Amazon Prime right now. How did that come about? Well, that came through my good friend Joe Ganascoli. He had introduced me to the gentleman who made that, and there was two versions of it. The one you're talking about is the uh, the second version, which was ten years apart from the first version. And the first one, um there was a lot of me and my co-host going around on camera interviews, some outtakes that he collected from people. So then it lay dormant that got pulled. Um, and then he remounted it with the one that's on Amazon now, but Joe had called me and said, there's this guy making a documentary. He's rounding up people to interview. And I was one of them. So after I did the interview, the guy said, geez, maybe I'll use you for the host. And he offered me a lot of money <laughs> and I did it. You know, it is what it is. It's not, you know, it's not too serious, put it that way. Right. Right. But it kindly, you know, but it was a gig. <laughs> it was a gig and the money was really good. Yeah. So, hey, I'll do it. It was filmed in 2002, right? Is that like right around the... Yeah. And it was it was during the actual shooting of a season. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, he, you know, the concept is super smart. It was a great concept. I don't know, like, a, like a game plan. I don't know if it was fully executed. Yeah. Properly, but the idea concept was fantastic. You know? Few can few can execute like David Chase, unfortunately. And the problem with the with any creative endeavor is like if you're trying to aspire to his level, you're going to be gravely disappointed most of the time. So it's so weird work because look at david chase with that show yeah what did he get rejected by nbc or something yeah fox nobody wanted it yeah can you imagine if they did want it it probably would have lasted about four shows and got pulled and censored you know just he's just lucky they said no to him and it's funny how things go it's so funny how things go just the constant stories i hear about how this almost didn't happen and his deal his deal with brillstein gray was up and he was going to go take another job someplace else and who knows how much of it is like how much of it was a perfect storm? Maybe there was like some weeks of space in there somewhere, but just the whole process of how it was nothing to so many people. And then it became something that we're sitting here talking about 20 years later is just a, a thing of beauty. I never thought I'd be part of a show that's talked. I, I, I mean, let's face it. I don't think there's any show that's talked about like this one. Is there? No, 20- no, I, it's weird. It's unbelievable. It's weird. It's it's a good thing. It's a blessing and a curse is what I'll say because yeah. uh, everything I try to watch and enjoy and appreciate in, in the present day, I always compare back to this. Yeah. Um, and Michael Imperioli is another guest that was on the show. He got I got to sit in the studio with him and he told me, he, he's like, you have to let it go. You can't, because every time you compare it to The Sopranos, it's always going to come short. Well, when I left there, when I left The Sopranos, needless to say, you know, you, you're, you're, you're yeah, you know, when you leave, you're bummed out on so many levels. Yeah, there's no, you're you're leaving even then, the hottest show on. You know what I mean? Right. And then of course there's the money. Yep. And then all your friends, you're leaving all your friends behind. Yeah. So 
So after that, I did I did a nice and, and I was actually doing it during a little bit, but I had this long storyline for two, three years on the guiding light. Mm-hmm. Playing of all things, the crime boss, the main guy, okay. Vince Delerno. But that's a whole different world, as you can imagine, you know. Right. Daytime network TV as opposed to primetime uh, HBO. Yeah. Yeah. You, you feel like you've been cut. You've gone to the friggin' back to the minor leagues. <laughs> well, you know what? At least you got to play. At least you got to play in the big leagues. That's the bottom line, you know, and that's something that'll never, ever change or ever, ever be able to be taken away. So, uh, so at least but with the guiding light, once I settled into it, I mean, the money was, they paid really well. Yeah. And really easy. You know what I mean? If you just utter the line, that's good. We're moving on. One take. One take. Just spit out, man. If it sucks, it's okay. You said the line, we're good. We're moving on. So it was like, brrr, and you'd be out of there. You go, well, you know. But um, it was quite a quite a long way from Sopranos and, you know, all the fun we had, you know. Did you watch the show in its entirety? Were you a fan? Oh, yeah. No, I couldn't get to watch it. You know, I wasn't making protests or anything like that. No, I watched it. In the pantheon of media, TV, film, written, or stage, where does it sit with you today? Is it on a Mount Rushmore? Or- oh, absolutely. I, you know, without a doubt. You know, without a doubt, it really is right up there. I mean, it's it's probably number one to me. You know, like, like the great like mob movies... I like the long form now. We're all getting used to long form. A movie doesn't seem enough anymore. Right. You need the serialized experience. You really do because I'm finding a movie it's just becoming old fashioned or something in some ways. I don't know. It's too limiting. But Viewers want more. They want more depth. They really do. I think times are changing, you know? So right at the uh, cusp of all that with that. And uh, I think it's I think it's ahead of I mean Godfather and all those, they'll all they'll always be what they are. But this to me is number one. You know, it really is. I'm gonna say a name and you say the first word that comes to your mind. James Gandolfini. Mount Rushmore, uh, king of the universe. David Chase. The man behind the curtain. Tony Sirico. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. See, you're going to have to edit these up. He was the same on and the same off screen. <laughs> Little Steven. Awesome. Great. Michael Imperioli. Sweetheart, brilliant actor, great guy. Lots of young people are going to hear this, like I mentioned to you earlier. Uh, first-time watchers of the show, people, people that would love to have the kind of career that you've had. What do you know about acting and or the business now that you wished you'd known at the beginning? Any advice for young actors or young aspiring actors out there? Um, well, of course, it's just, you know, just, just to keep going in the face of tremendous odds and rejection, number one to have the stomach for that to get, you know, figuratively knocked out and get up and do it again and again and again and again and again. Um, and to, to hone your craft technically a lot of people, because it took me a while and it's still, you know, I mean, I got a long way to go still, you know, um, but to, to, to learn the camera and to, and to, and to, uh, monitor your, your acting, so to speak, I think technical aspect of acting is, is very important that in the early stages, I didn't quite understand it. Even when I thought I did, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the minimalistic, 
you know, uh, portrayal, so to speak. Less is more. It's a cliche, but it's true. And to Super get true. Yeah, to get to get comfortable doing that, and to feel like you don't have to really push it. That's that's what it's all about. I think you know, to be relaxed and to just keep going. I mean, I used to drive to you know I'm, I'm from Boston. I still live in Boston. Where you live now, I feel is irrelevant. But back then. I would drive to New York back and forth, back and forth for two, three minute auditions. Now you can do it on a phone and send it to them. Yeah. You know? FaceTime. Yeah. You could just, you could just self tape, you know, you send it in and you don't have to drive there and drive back and you're all full of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get that one. Oh, I felt you'd fly home and you felt good about it. If it didn't go so good, the ride home would be long. You'd be reliving it. You'd be doing the audition in your car, you know? The whole ride home, you like doing it all over. You go, it's over, man. You just did it. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. In the airport scene, Gigi just got off a plane supposedly from Boston. Was that written in because of you? Because of your personal connection to Boston? It probably did. I mean, I don't, honestly, it was never really discussed. You know, when I saw that, I said, they must, you know, know that. Uh, but, you know, it said he was on the lamb up in Boston. So. Yeah. What's on your plate these days? Any projects coming up or any causes or anything that you're passionate about that you want to share with the, with the audience today? Well, I'm just, you know, passionate about life and trying to do the right thing and keep going and try to get healthier. You know, um, I did the movie Chappaquiddick. It's out now. It's on Netflix. Oh, with the, the Kate Mara? Yes. Yes. I'm the chief of police. I'm Dominic Arena. Oh, nice. I've been meaning to see that movie. I love movies like that, that are small and kind of like historical dark. Kind of an adult movie. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a thing. So yeah, it was a great and great role. Great experience. That was a lot of fun. I worked with Jason Clark again, who I worked with on Brotherhood. Okay. On Showtime, which was a great show. Yeah. But just paled compared to The Sopranos. <laughs> I mean, I think obviously Sopranos is better. Yeah, but brother, really good. It just didn't get any traction, you know. Right. Um, but that was fun. Then I got to work with him, and I got a movie called Vault coming out. Um, Vincent Pastore's in it. Chaz Palminteri, Don Johnson. The leads are Theo Rossi and uh, Clive Standen. This is a good heist caper movie set in Rhode Island. Nice. Sounds like it's well cast. Vincent Pastor, of course, is big pussy bump and zero on the on the show. I think it's going to be coming out, you know, a few months or so. But the buzz is strong. It was really a lot of fun, and I think it's going to do something now. Cool. Besides work, what do you enjoy in life? What are you passionate about? Well, I like. I like. I mean, you know, I like. I like sports. I like movie watching, TV watching. I like to buy a little real estate here and there. Hunt down a piece, buy it, keep it rent it, flip it, whatever. Do that. John, very appreciative of your time. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. Thank you so much, Vic. Thank you. 